We're doing a series called Hearts and Minds, just showing the, 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 the huge importance that the Bible places upon our thinking. And we've looked at it from many different perspectives. As a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. So he is. And so you're never going to advance beyond your thinking. Your thinking can be a cage in which you live your whole life long. Much, and we can go on forever, remember the list we've had up here. Your moral conduct comes out of your thinking, Romans, right? Our, our finances come out of our thinking. Think poor, be poor, right? And on and on and on it goes. As a man thinketh, so is he. And so are you. You're not an exception. So you're a product in some ways of your thought, your mentality. So the, the Apostle Paul concludes the whole gospel with this point. That's how important it is. He travels through the, the book of Romans, which is really the Bible's exposition of the truth of the gospel. And he takes us through chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, all the way, and he comes to his massive conclusion, and it is therefore the only change that's ever going to actually happen to you is judged on what you do in your mind. Therefore, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Some things you can learn academically, some things you can be taught, right? But some things you have to learn, there's a difference. Some things are personal. And tonight's message is really something that I, nobody taught me. It was something that I learned through the lowest point of my life. It's about breaking a hopeless mentality. Now, I don't know if you have ever got to a place in your life where you feel as low, as low, as low as maybe you've ever been. Now, I'm not a depressing sort of person. I'm not. It's just not my disposition at all. But a certain chain of circumstances had taken hold of my life that I felt were beyond my control. And I started to sink and sink and sink. And I remember I went out and walked along a river. And I was sadder than I've ever been. And I was a believer. And I'd gone, I'd gone out for a walk. I just prayed and I'd never been so low. And I went back home to my apartment and I said, God, you know what? <laughs> word after word after word. But at this moment of my life, I need help. Because I feel Hopeless, without hope. I can't see a way out of this. I can't see a way forward. And I really, really need help. And I thank God that he spoke to me at that moment. And that's what I want to share with you tonight. I did break a hopeless mentality from personal experience. Came through something, came out the other side of it. And it's an important tool to have in your back pocket should that day ever come your way. Or should you ever be with someone who is in obvious need of, of help. For a start... In that place, when I found myself in, in dire distress, nigh on depressed, something I never would ever use of myself or think of myself, I'm just not like that. But there I was. Whoa! How did I get here? And suddenly, do you know what became important to me? Hope. <laughs> something I had never valued, never laid any treasure in. I thought, well, I don't need hope. I'm quite happy just the way I am. But all of a sudden, hope became a big issue to me. And I wished I'd had it. I kind of wished I'd spent more time looking at it when I didn't need it. You know, it's one of those things you've got to do like that. All the attributes of God should be recreated in us. His love, His peace, His patience, His faith, or whatever. All these things are, are pretty easy to see. In fact, if I said to you, tell me how God has created hope in you, you would give me many answers because it's not difficult to see. You would say, oh, uh, faith, yeah, I know. 
I got this word from God once and it gave me faith. Or God told me this and then I believed and I believed and this experience happened to me and it grew my faith, you know? You would have no trouble with that. If I ask you, how did God create patience in you? Husbands would point to their wives, right? Right, Tom? <laughs> Sanguine. Um, wives would point to their husbands. Parents would point to their children. How does God create patience in you? Through relationships, predominantly. And you'd say, yeah, 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 I know how that happens. But do you know what the problem is? Listen, do you know when you ask Christians, how does God create hope? They don't know. They don't know. They can't put their finger on any event or anything in their life that actually brings hope. And hope is precious. You need hope. Bible's full of it. But Christians don't know, often until it's too late, where hope comes from, how hope is created, the whole process of that. We understand the other things. And I'll say this, friends. Listen to me. If I gave everybody in this room a little piece of paper and a pen, and I said to you, write down the number one thing about your life that you just don't understand. The thing that you say, why did it happen, Lord? Why did it have to happen to me? That thing, write it down. And I gathered up all those bits of paper and held them up here in a bag. That bag would probably represent how God brings about hope. Because so often it's through the thing that you just can't figure, the thing that niggles at you. So, for the one and only time in my life, I'm nigh on depressed. You know, and I'm down, I'm, I'm out, and I need God. Not for the church, for me. I need God. <laughs> God! Word after word, this time I need a word. I need, to, I need hope, something to cling on to. And I go home, and I'm not advising you to do this, and people at home, I'm not saying to do this, but I did do it. <laughs> I said, I'm going to open up my Bible. Lord, I'm going to open up my Bible, and I'm going to start to read because I can't take another step. And whatever I read, it has to be a, a life ring. So I open, and it's Ezekiel chapter 24 and verse 15. Take a look. Ezekiel chapter 24 and verse 15. And this is what I started to read. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, with one blow, I am about to take from you the delight of your eyes. Yet do not lament or weep or shed tears. Groan quietly. Do not mourn for the dead. Keep your turban fastened on your head and your sandals on your feet. Do not cover the lower part of your face or eat the customary food of mourners. So I spoke to the people in the morning and in the evening, my wife died. The next morning, I did as I had been commanded. Then the people asked me, won't you tell me what these things have got to do with us? So I said to them, the word of the Lord came to me. Say to the house of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I am about to desecrate my sanctuary, the stronghold in which you take trust and pride, the delight of your eyes, the object of your affection. Now, tell me, <laughs> if you were in a low state and you started to read that, would that cheer you up? <laughs> that completely delivered me. Isn't it great how you can read something and it makes no sense? But when God is on you, when the anointing is upon you, you can read something and see straight through it and know exactly what it means. And that's what happened to me that day. I could see Ezekiel. I could see the people of Israel. Our question tonight is this. How does God deal with a hopeless, 
mentality. This is what we've got here. How does God create hope in you? How's that going to come? How's it going to happen? Because that's exactly what was happening to Ezekiel and to the people of Israel. Point number one. God will create hope in you by firstly removing every false hope that you have. So he sees Ezekiel. Now, do you, do you understand the picture here? The people of Israel have encamped around a great big city wall, and they're very proud of it. They feel very secure inside their walls. Nobody can attack us. And their hope is in their walls. A bit like a missile defense shield in those days, you know? They're very glad of their walls. And those walls cause the eyes of the people of Israel to turn from God and to just come down and think, well, we're actually okay. We don't actually need you, God. The delight of their eyes were the city walls. They were so proud of their defense, right? Their city's defenses. Now, Ezekiel wasn't like that. However, Ezekiel had another problem. What, what was his problem? What was the delight of his eyes? A relationship. A relationship. In this case, it was a wife. But it could be any relationship. So you've got a prophet, and you've got the people of God, neither of them hoping in their God. The people have turned to hope in what they've got, and the prophet has turned to hope in a relationship. And God says, hey guys, not going to go on like this. Both you, my people, and you, my prophet, will look to me. And I will make sure of it. So Ezekiel, if I got to take your wife out of here, that's what I'll do. And Israel, if I got to knock your walls down, I will do. And that's what that was said to Ezekiel. In one day, God says, because I love you, I'm going to flatten those walls. And you will be forced to look up. You will, know, you, you will know how futile it is, as God often says, to trust in Egypt. Right? You will turn your head to me. As any good father, that's exactly what God is doing here. And in one day, what did he do? He took Ezekiel's wife. Took her out of this life. Took her to heaven. And in one day, he flattened the walls of the city. And he ensured, as a good father would, that his children's eyes remained focused up toward heaven. Now, I'm just warning you, and I'm warning myself, that God will treat me the same way. So I better walk through this life with a heavenly mentality, with a you know, forehead like flint or whatever other way you want to put it. Today, it may not be the city walls of Glasgow that your hope is in, but your hope could be in your health. Your hope could be in your wealth. Your hope could be in your smarts or your power or whatever. None of that is any good. It's equal. It's the same as this sin right here. It's the same as this false hope. Question tonight. How is God going to create hope in you? Because he is, by the way. So get used to it. How is he going to do that? First thing, he's going to remove the false hopes in your life. Now, I was raised a Catholic. And to some degree, I was quite self-righteous. Not overtly, but I felt secure. I felt that God was a good God and God loved me and blah, blah, blah. I could live whatever way I wanted. It didn't matter. And praise God, a born-again believer came into my office. And day after day, he slowly, what's that game you play where you pull out all the little sticks? <laughs> slowly, he began to Jenga my, you know, false assurance, right? And I started to teeter because he was absolutely right. Each day, another scripture, you're going to hell, Michael, you know. <laughs> but I understood that he was telling me the truth. He was undermining my false hope by telling me about the word of God. 
right? See, God is deeply, deeply interested in you in this way. He wants your mind to be, this is what Hebrews 11, the heroes of faith, commanded because they were heavenly minded people. You see, you can come to church every Sunday. It doesn't mean you're hoping in God, friend. I'm sorry, but it doesn't. It doesn't mean a lot, just attendance at all, really. You know, Benny Hinn had a, had a great crusade once. And this is a true story. It said, I've mentioned this to you before. He wasn't ready. He wasn't on the platform. There was a big crowd building up. And they wheel in this young girl onto the front row, and she's in a wheelchair. And he's not even out there yet. And the girl starts to rock and shake that wheelchair. And Benny Hinn comes out, and the worship starts. And he sees the girl down on the front row really making quite a racket. So he calls one of the ushers over and he says, go and tell that girl to wait. I'm not ready yet. So the usher goes down to the girl in the wheelchair and says, Mr. Hinn says, just sit quiet now. We're not quite ready to start yet. So a little bit of time goes by and she starts rocking again, shaking her chair. And Benny Hinn says, go and tell the girl, stop that. So the usher goes down and says, Mr. Hinn says, to stop rocking your chair like that. And the girl said this, tell Mr. Hinn that I am going to get healed whether he's ready or not. In that place, she was the first one walking. She was the first one out. Now tell me why. She had her hope in God. So here you've got a huge crowd. And who are they looking at? Benny Hinn. Right? And here you've got this girl who knows where her hope is. Her hope is not in the city wall. Her hope is in the right place. And she was the one that got the answer. You see how important it is? Because hope precedes faith. Hope is the real temperature of your spirituality. Right? Faith is being sure of what we hope for. So there should be a lively hope. You should have an active living hope. Looking to your future. That's the real measure of how expectant you are about your future. So the first thing God will do to you is He will remove, I hope you're listening, <laughs> He's going to remove from your life false hopes. Things that He never put there. Things that are taking you away from Him. So you better learn to hold all things lightly. As well as that, there's ungodly hopes. And God will remove from you any ungodly hopes. Right? I used to have a friend of mine used to pick me up, a born-again believer, and he always had a lotto ticket stuck in his dashboard, you know, <laughs> the weekly lotto. And uh, he's a good guy. But I used to say to him, what's that, Frank? <laughs> That's my lotto ticket. God, come on, Lord. I said, Frank, you pay your tithe? For oh, yes, yes. You may as well throw it out the window, Frank. <laughs> you, you, you can't pay your tithe and expect your seed to be blessed when with one hand, you're in the kingdom. On the other hand, you're in darkness and you're involved in gambling. Heaven's above, man. Snap out of it. Good guy. Very good guy, but a false hope. You can't do that. That's crazy. You're actually puncturing your own blessing if you behave like that. That's a double-minded man right there. What does James say about someone who's double-minded? Will receive nothing. Will receive nothing. And anyway, anything you did receive would come to naught. Proverbs. Right? There's ungodly hopes. There's false hopes. And these will be the target of God in my life. And they will be the target of God in your life too. He will begin to weed. To remove from you the things that are in His way. The second means by which 
God creates hope in us is at times of loss. Now, I don't know, we're all different ages here, and people will have lost different relatives. The three closest people to me have all died in the last three years. So you better watch it, Tom. You're probably next. <laughs> Only joking. <laughs> all right. My dad, right? Frank and Morgan. All three died in, 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 in quick succession, one after the other. Do you know what? The death of loved ones, the death of close people to you, it doesn't have to change you. You learn through that. And the shock to me, I was sharing this with actually with Ruth last Sunday, the, 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 the shock to me through the death of loved ones is, is this. It carries a silver lining. It carries a blessing when they're, when they're saved, when they're believers. And the, the, the fear of the loss of my dad was worse than the loss of my dad. The fear of it was far worse. But when my dad actually died, and, and, and you go there to, 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 to the, you know, the funeral service, I mean, you couldn't help but be euphoric. You couldn't help but know. Talk about the, the reassurance of faith. I mean, he, just, he may as well have been in the room. So concrete is that. But God gives us hope. God create, how does God create hope? Remove those false ones in you. But secondly, at times of loss, the th last three losses that I've experienced have been a surprise to me, a pleasant surprise, a good surprise. Of course, it's sad to lose people, but it, it just does something inside you. It really does make you look up. It makes you more heavenly minded when you lose your mom, your dad, your brothers, your sister. It makes you look towards heaven. It changes you. You become with a heavenly mind, a heavenly hope. Right, which is precious to God. Getting you to have your treasure in heaven and to have your mind fixed on heaven is not that easy because you're so tied up with this life, friend. You are. <laughs> you're tied up with this world. You're tied up with your own well-being, with your own life, your own career, your own family. And that can be a little bit dangerous because God is determined to turn you heavenward. Now, he's got his ways of doing that. What does Jesus say? Build up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be. So what was Ezekiel's treasure? So what did God do with his wife? He took his earthly treasure, prized it, took it, boah, and put it in heaven. So all of a sudden, this man whose head was down, occupied with my own life, through the wrenching, through the ripping that death is, God took his treasure and placed it in heaven. And from that point on, Ezekiel was never the same. From that point on, any interest that he had on earth and the things of earth died in his wife. And he then became, painfully so, a heavenly-minded prophet that's all I wanted you know you can see God saying to he's you know I, I know this is tough Ezekiel I know this is hard it's very hard but what I'm bringing about is of such greater consequence you'll never understand it now involves the Bible involves the history of Israel involves the church to come this is important Ezekiel and you know the great thing about him he accepted it he didn't mourn like everybody else. He didn't grieve. He obeyed God completely. And followed. he understood. 
And this is to Ezekiel's eternal credit. He understood the will of God. He trusted God. Even with the loss of his treasure, he knew this is because the people have lost their hope in heaven. This is because the whole nation has turned away from God. Okay, God, take her. Take her. Because she's become a distraction to me. And when you take her, Lord, take her to heaven. And I will turn and tell the nation and lead the nation back to you, which is exactly what he did. Put your hope in God alone. My dad was a good, good, good dad. A wise, wise man. And one of the things that he did to us as nine children and one of the things he did to us when we were growing up that I used to hate was when it was pocket money day. And all the kids would be there, you know, and he'd give everybody like a pound or 50p or something. But there was a certain portion that he would take back. So he would give you like 50 pence, but you had to give him 10 pence back. I hated that. <laughs> Why give me 50? Just give me 40 pence and keep the 10 because you're going to take it anyway. And in the beginning... You see, he's got a higher plan. He's thinking of things that I'm not thinking about. And he's looking at his son. And he, he, he said, I'm going to teach you to hold all things lightly. And I'm going to teach you the value of saving. And we had a calendar on our wall and all our names on the back of it. And there was the amount that we had saved by force. <laughs> right? taking that money each week, which you didn't want to give up, and it would mount up. But I distinctly remember once as a child being out to play when one of my friends said this, I've got nothing, no money, and boom, I suddenly understood my dad. Because I looked at my friend and I thought, I've actually got, oh, I see, good dad, good father. You understood when I didn't. And I know it's tough, and I know it hurts me, but that was good for me. So don't hold anything in life too tight a grip. It's like a baby with a rattle, you know? You ever give a baby a good thing? You want the baby to be happy, so you give it a rattle? Try and get the rattle back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? It becomes an obsession. And as human beings, that's what we can become like. Be very willing to let anything that God gives you, go. Be willing to let it go. Good or bad, whatever it is, if he, he knows. If, if anything is starting to take your attention from him, he needs to remove it. And all I'm saying, folks, be in Ezekiel. Imagine this man being able to say, okay, God, I hear you. I understand. And just to step right back, he didn't eat the food of mourners. He did all the little rules that God, that were very obvious in his day. He let God have his way. Some things are tough to let go of, aren't they? Some things we want to hold on to. It's no good for you. So firstly, how's God going to create hope in you? He's going to take away false and ungodly hopes that you may have right now. Let him do it. Secondly, you can prepare yourself for times of loss. And that's not such a bad thing as you might think. I've just been away in Ireland, as you know, with my 89-year-old grandma, my mother. And uh, it's a sad thing when you see someone grow so old that they can hardly get up off the seat. It's, of course it's sad. 
But there's also, as I say, there's a silver lining in there, guys. There truly is, especially when the person knows God. Right? There's a wonderful, there's a joyful hope. It's the last point. God's ultimate destination for you is that you would be like Paul. And you would have a joyful hope. Not just a hope, but a joyful, happy hope of what is up ahead. If you do a study in the letters of Paul, you will see that his early letters were all about his suffering. Oh, how hard it is. But we do all this because we love the Lord. And he's always on about how tough things are. Right? And his later letters... The tone changes because Paul has changed. And now all you ever hear him talk about is God. And how wonderful God is. And the crown laid up for me. And the race that I have run. And it's almost over. He changes his perspective. Not easily. Painfully. But as Paul grew older, he, he most definitely changed. Have you got a pen, someone, please? Thanks. I don't know if you've ever read C.S. Lewis's book, Surprised by Joy, but his wife was called Joy. And C.S. Lewis was a dusty old university professor, never thought he would get saved, never thought he'd become a believer, but he did. And then God blew into his life an absolute joy-filled, lovely Christian lady. And he married her and her name was Joy. And he was surprised by Joy, surprised that he, a dusty old professor, could have such a happy marriage and then joy got cancer and Lewis sat beside his wife's deathbed and he wrote a book called Shadowlands you may have seen the film and he sat with her slow progressive death and what happened well she dies and he goes into complete turmoil and he doesn't understand what's happened but Lewis after everything was over and his wife is long gone C.S. Lewis wrote a book what was it called <laughs> surprised by joy and it wasn't that he see here he is he's got let's say this is joy lewis has a very low joy dusty old professor and then in she comes and he was full of joy surprised by it but then she died Uh oh and the book has a surprising end because do you know what he said the shock to me was this after she died my joy went up I was surprised by that joy that there was a silver lining in her death because her death caused him to be heavenly minded. It, it took away any real investment he had in life and it caused him to be focused on where he was going, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And God did the same with Lewis as he did with Ezekiel. He turns us one way or t'other. He will get you to be heavenly minded. And all I would say, folks, and after reading the book, <laughs> come the easy way. Just come the easy way. Don't have God to intervene as he did with Ezekiel. He doesn't have to. Right? He doesn't have to do these drastic actions. All he, all, all he wants is for me to keep my eyes on him. Amen. That's it. And then we can all live our lives out happily. So tonight, what are you hoping in that's false? relationship career what are you hoping in that you know is not from God be very willing to put that rattle down what are you hoping in that's ungodly not just false but ungodly anything don't be foolish put it down 
and come the easy way. Come the easy way to God. Put your treasure in heaven. How do we do that? By giving. By giving. Send it on ahead. Pump your treasure into heaven. Live every day with a heavenly mind. Make yourself do it. Discipline yourself to do it. That's the easy way. Or you can go the way of the world or the way of many Christians today and just be like everybody else. And one day, like Ezekiel, God may reluctantly have to walk up to your life and say, I'm coming in, just like he did with them. I don't want that to happen to me, and I don't think it's going to, because I've been there and come back. So I'm telling you, folks, keep your eyes, especially in these last days, keep your eyes in heaven on your God. Make that your goal. Make that your focus. Amen?